Just a quick heads up that these are adults having adult conversations about things that take place on a show where the adults use a lot of adult language. All this to say, there might be some salty language ahead, so please plan accordingly. I know you would have preferred to have been with them, but it was truly an honor to have you with us to share our traditions and help make a few new ones. (laughs) To the family we're born with and to the family we make along the way. What would Ted Lasso do? That's the question we explore in each episode of this podcast. We take the lessons we learn from Ted Lasso and apply them to the real world through the lens of leadership and positive psychology. My name is Dimple Dabalia. And I'm Jeff Harry. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed making it and that it helps you discover your own Lasso way and embrace what it means to believe. Okay, so Merry August Christmas. I love this episode. We are talking about um, season two, episode four, Carol of the Bells, which, funny enough, came out almost exactly a year ago. It actually came out on August 13th, and today is the 18th. So, yeah, isn't that funny? Really? That is crazy. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for coming back. I, yeah, wait. It got released in, in not in December. I felt really like I was in Christmas. Like this definitely has like made my day watching this and I'm like getting nostalgic for Christmas. Yeah. But the fact that they released this in August, just that blows my mind. That is fascinating. Yeah. So this is Carol of the Bells. It was written by Joe Kelly, directed by Declan Loney. This was a bit of a controversial episode <laughs> because a lot of diehards were like, what is happening? We've had a storyline going. Like, what is this? And so uh, for people who don't know, this was actually a bonus episode. So there was supposed to be 10 episodes this season. And after their arc was already kind of com- like written and completed, Apple offered them two more episodes. And so there's two kind of random episodes this season that are just kind of plunked in the middle and don't actually move the storyline forward. And this is one of them. So, but it's such a feel good episode. It's just like so happy. Yeah. It's all, it's like one of those, uh, not just bonus episodes, but you're like, it's yes, it could be considered a filler episode, but it's a happy filler episode with like, it's a Christmas special. That's really how I feel. I felt like, I felt like I was watching like a version of Love Actually. I mean, it was great. Uh, like I would totally watch this during Christmas. I'll probably watch this during Christmas. That's how. Oh, yeah, for sure. How good it was. And I agree with you. It totally brought up all the holiday feels. I was like yeah. looking outside and it's like sunny and 86 degrees right now. And I was like, oh, man, I just want You're to like, like. I want Christmas. I want hot chocolate. And <laughs> yeah. Eggnog. I don't drink eggnog. But you know what I'm saying? Oh, I love eggnog. But yeah, so they they actually hit a number of holiday movies, which we can kind of go through as we go through. But uh, Love Actually was definitely a big part of this. There was callbacks to Elf, uh, Christmas Vacation, It's a Wonderful Life, and A Christmas Story. Yeah, such a fun episode. So I love how it started off, right? Because, again, the team is leading in the play, right? Leading in the attunement as they're passing out secret Santa gifts. 
And Ted is not leading any of it. Like, again, that's like he's done the job and now he's gotten out of the way. And, you know, they have their captain sitting in the front, you know, like on his throne, you know, administering this secret Santa thing. And people are like sewing, you know, scarves and socks and stuff like that for other people. I'm like, this is like everything that Ted wanted. He is now created and now gets it enough to like sit in the back and do his own thing with his with his like, you know, diamond dog group that is expanded with Kaylee hanging out there and then Rebecca. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I love that they're playing Christmas and Hollis by Run DMC, (laughs) which I think is awesome. And uh, to your point, it's funny because everybody else has gotten booze and Colin is the first one to get a scarf. And I love that Bumba Catch is like knitting soothes me. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I just thought that the, there was like so many moments of comedy in this episode that I thought were really cute. I was going to say, and then they showed the uh, record, which we haven't known the record the whole time. Right. And now they have four wins, four losses, 14 draws, 26 points. You know, you get three points for anyone that has, doesn't watch uh, English Premier League or whatever it is. You get three points. Or win and you get one point for a tie. So they're not doing bad, but they're definitely not doing good either. But that was good to know because I had had no idea how they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. And so that board like shows us that they've skipped forward in time as well. I don't know if you noticed, but one of the things, one of the Easter eggs in this one was under D's for draws, somebody had written nuts. D's nuts. Gotta love it. (laughs) But yeah, so I love like what's happening in the office, right? So now you've got kind of the coaches and Keely back there just sharing their plans. I love this idea of sexy Christmas, which so in this episode, we've kind of got three storylines, right? So we've got sexy Christmas as one storyline. We've got what's happening at the Higgins house as the second storyline. And we've got Rebecca and Ted as the third. Mm -hmm. And I love it because everybody gets kind of equal screen time on this one right like it feels like they're all equal storylines there's not like one like main one which there usually is and then nate you know we get another little onion peel back of nate talking about spending time with his family and how his dad just hates everything (laughs) yeah that was that was a fascinating glimpse and at the same time he shares this and i don't know if they did this on purpose but probably then they cut to the kit man outside who had just received a gift, right? So that was also super. Yeah, like tons of money. Oh, he had won some money? No, like they, like the team had given him a ton of money. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, let's go. So that was fat. And that was the first time I liked Nate this season. Really? What did you like about that? I'm curious. He was vulnerable. And it, it, like, he wasn't insulting. He wasn't trying to front. He was, you know transparent for a moment you know and then of course he wrote over beard's face when he was signing thing but like even the gift was just like you know you like really changed my life like it was a vulnerable nice moment i was like oh there's nate again yeah it's really thoughtful this is the nate i like where is this nate now we've lost this name and then of course we get well and then rebecca comes down and her plans are to go to elton john's Christmas party, which I thought was kind of funny, too, because uh, she just says, I'm going to a friend's house. And then Keely's like, what's the first and last name of, you know, of your friend? And then, of course, we get Jamie coming in. And that that whole little sequence really cracked me up. 
I just forgot it for a little bit. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that is so magical because everybody touches the gift, right? Like talk about mm -hmm. talk about we over me and talk about a collective diamond dog solving a solution in the moment. And everyone has a say, right? Like we're like, oh, OK, we're going to solve this. We're going to solve this really quickly. And by the time he gets the gift back within, I don't know, it seems like 30 seconds. It looks like he put a ton of thought and effort into this. And then he's so thankful. He's like, God bless everyone. And I was like, who is this guy? No, 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 he is not. That's the whole like he he's so clueless. Like, I think he genuinely was like, oh, I did a good thing here because he says, God bless me, everyone. <laughs> oh, does he say God bless me? That's hilarious. Oh, that's why they're like, oh, goodness, he doesn't get it. OK, that's interesting. I thought he said, God bless everyone. Either way, it just seemed like kind of aloof of what just magic just happened, because not, I would love for something like that to happen where you're like, you know, there's so many times when you wait for the last moment and then you have no gift and you're like, OK, I'm really now going into the pantries to find something that I want to re-gift, you know. But when you have diamond dogs, like they create some magic out of nothing. Yeah. And I do wonder, like, was that in reference to like, oh, I made a good choice coming in here and asking. So God bless me. Right. Or was it like, I, you know, I have no idea, but it was so funny and just so like on point for Jamie, you know, like he's, he's like got all this growth happening, but then at his core, he's still Jamie, you know? And I just thought. And then it cuts to the intro of the whole, you know, show and I'm like about to skip it. And then I'm like, wait a minute. There are these claymations everywhere. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what are these claymations doing? And there's a lot of them. It's funny. There's a whole actual video that was floating around on social media. So they had the claymation intro, but they made a little like actual, uh, they recorded a, a scene, if you will, with all the claymation. Oh, wow. Characters. And it's actually like the the real actors voicing the claymation. So maybe we'll try to link to that video. It's really funny. But yeah, it's all about, I think Ted loses his mustache. And so the whole team is like trying to help him find it, like with the spirit of like. I think you've sent this to me. Okay, yeah, I got to see. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty funny. So we'll, we'll try to link that. But let's jump into Sexy Christmas. Like I love this um, storyline. <laughs> Just think it's so funny. And so first of all, Elodie Bloomfield, once again, I like this show does a really great job of casting children. I mean, Ted's kid, maybe not as much. Like I didn't find him particularly um, notable. Right. Like Kiki May last week and then Elodie Bloomfield all the time. Like she's just fantastic, but so cute. Yeah. This whole idea of her bad breath, like it was so funny, but just start with like the beginning of that whole thing. Did you ever see A Christmas Story? Oh, yeah, of course. So the leg lamp. Oh, you got to love the leg lamp that eventually broke. For some reason it broke mm, in Christmas story. But yeah, exactly. So I love that little callback in there. And then just watching Keely like prepping. Right. So she's like licking the chocolate. And then when she's taking the little red pieces out of the olives. Yep. For the martini. And she's like gagging the whole time. And so. I don't know if you remember, like... I've never knew people don't like those red pieces. I love those. Those are, like, my favorite. Yeah, the little pimentos. So she mentioned that. Remember in um, the episode with the gala when she and Rebecca are in the bathroom and she says, can I have a sip of your drink? 
And she talks about how she hates the little red pieces in the olives because they remind her of little like clitorises or something. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. So she's like taking those out and, you know, getting ready for sexy Christmas, which I think is awesome. And then, yeah, and then the doorbell rings. And also she has a chocolate fountain for just her and Roy. That's that is significant. That's fast. Yeah. Do they not live together? They don't live together. They don't live together. I mean, I think he spends most of his time or a lot of his time there, but but they have their own places. Yeah, because that's the whole thing, right? Like when he talks about we're going to go to my stupid posh neighborhood to like find. All right. The dentist. So. But yeah, so we see Phoebe at the door and I just kept thinking, Oh my gosh, if I had like planned this whole thing and this kid shows up, like, Mm -hmm. you know, like how would I have reacted? And she just takes it in stride. She's just like, okay. Right. Like it's like no big deal. Yeah. But the smelling of the breath part was glorious. I mean, that was just the facial expressions, especially of Roy when he was just like, I was in a locker room for 20 years and I've smelled worse. And then he's just like, "Mm." that was off awesome and you know when you've ever smelled something you're like oh my gosh this smells so horrible hey you need to smell this here come over here and smell this and people like i don't want to smell it you're like you gotta smell it you gotta have the same experience as i did so that was just fascinating watching both of them react to that and they had like these little lines in between right so like so when she smells it at at first and then like kind of steps back and he's like, he kind of, he's like, she's already feeling bad enough. And when he says the thing about the locker room and says, you know, I've smelled worse or whatever, she's like, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> like, but the part of him just gagging behind her back as she's trying to like talk to Phoebe. But then the other thing was about this Barnard kid, right? And he's just like, you see him like sit up and lean forward and he's just like, who, who's this Bernard, you know? Yeah, right, right. Where does he live? I love that. Yeah. And the fact that he wants to go beat him up, I just thought was really funny. But one of the fun little facts on this one is that going back to Love Actually, Bernard is the name of the son of Emma Thompson and Alan Alan Rickman's characters in Love Actually. Oh, interesting. And apparently Richard Curtis, who wrote the screenplay, he has an unlikable character named Bernard in every single thing that he's done. Because when he was in college, his girlfriend left him for a guy named Bernard. Wow. Wow. I wonder if Bernard is still knows about that and knows that that has he's inspired something amazing. Right. I just think that's so funny. But yeah, like I, I love that. And I love like just you can see how much they care about her. And, you know, and Roy's whole thing is like, well, what do you have to be sad about? Like, did one of the Paw Patrol dogs die? <laughs> and you know, like he has no clue, like what would be making her unhappy and just like how they handle it. And you see kind of the two sides of like what they'd be like as parents, you know, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just I thought that that was really cute and really sweet. I love that they tried to solve it. I mean, it was just so fascinating where because they could have just. Yeah, just the fact that they were proactive to solve it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was just super cool. Yeah. And so this going door to door, another callback to Love Actually, right? So in the movie, what's his name? Hugh Grant. His character's going around looking for Natalie, the woman that was working in his, right? He's the prime minister. And so. Yeah. And again, it's like a famous person knocking on doors and being like, I'll figure this out. You know, people will recognize me. And 
Exactly. And that moment of vulnerability, like when uh, Roy talks about pooping his pants. Yeah. Like just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like the comedic timing again, because Keely's like, finish the story. And then he's like, three weeks ago. <laughs> so- and then this kid is like, I poop in my pants. He's just like, yes. We've both done it. Like that was a great moment of just being like, we've all done this, yeah. but we don't talk about this. And let's yes, try to stop. Yeah. Let's try to stop going forward. Yeah. So they, and he has promised Keely and Phoebe a thousand pounds each if they don't find a dentist in 10 homes. But I think they finally hit like number 10. So this, the dentist, the family. So the guy at the table who wants the picture if you remember him, Ussie from the plane. Uh, let's not take a selfie. Take it. Let's take an Ussie. Yeah. I'm going to start saying that from now on. I'm going to go up to people and be like, hey, can we take an Ussie? <laughs> a what? An Ussie. It's, it's not a selfie. It's an Ussie. I love that. Right. So he was on the plane. He also, when Jamie got his haircut towards like the last couple of episodes, I can't remember which episode, but he's also in there getting in Jamie's head about. I think it is the last episode, maybe. Oh, he's in there? Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. So the woman who's the doctor is actually his real-life mother, though. So that's another fun little fact. I feel like this episode is just, like, a lot of fun facts, honestly. Like, (laughs) there's there's not a lot of lessons, per se, that I could think of. But, but yeah, so, so that's Roy's solution. It even seems like for a minute that the doctor is kind of just like, we'll just get rid of the cat, you know, like, so we find out that the whole issue is that Phoebe's got a cat. She's now taking allergy medicine. That's the problem. And that's Roy's initial solution, too. Like, it's simple. You've only had it for a month. Get rid of it. And Keely's like, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that whole relationship, too. Like, I love that Keely is just so she's so good with her, you know, like we saw her. In episode, I think it was one where they she goes to the soccer practice or the football practice, and then they go out for hot chocolate, and she's stepped into that role um, really nicely. I mean, I guess we did in season one, but we're reminded that it's Roy's sister's daughter, and that his sister is actually a doctor, and that she's on call. That's why they're having to take her. Oh, that's why. Okay. Yeah, and then this whole little arc ends with the final part of Love Actually with the poster boards and markers. Oh, one of my favorite parts of Love Actually. Oh, so good. And the fact that this time it was like a mean or partly mean and then she forgave him at the end. Oh, so classic. I love that. And then she even pointed to the arrows and then it was just like the pointed arrows to Roy and Roy's like, if you do something this again, then you're going to get this guy. And he's like, "Mm." And then they point to Keely, and then it's just like her just being like, I'm so sorry. I'm just, I didn't agree to this. I'm just, I don't know how we got here. And is, did they give him like a hundred quid? Did they give that guy a hundred quid more so that he, they could get poster board? Is that what they did? Okay. That's, what yeah. So it sounds like Roy pulled him out of bed because the guy was in his pajamas. Clearly, clearly another, another Roy special, the benefits of celebrity status. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. And then he gives him another hundred quid. So, yeah. So it was, that was just, it was so sweet. And I just love that, like, they didn't shame her and they really just like worked so hard to like make her not feel bad about herself and to, and then also to not like 
hold that against this kid, right? Like they taught her such a great lesson about about forgiveness in that moment. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I loved it. That was just so crunchy granola and so good. I was like, oh, this is so lovely. And then they're walking off afterwards. But I think the part that is, and I I've been thinking about this more and more about like what are core memories? Like when do we create core memories, right? And thinking about like I guess uh, Pixar's Inside Out when they were like, that's, this is a core memory. Like this is something that we're going to be built. We're building everything off of this one memory. That would be one, right? That would definitely be one for her, right? The Christmas could have been sexy time where they're just like doing all this stuff, right? Or this, which frankly probably is going to be more memorable and more uh, magical and has less stuff. Right. As much as it enjoy, it's awesome to enjoy the chocolate fountain. It's never going to replace, you know, being able to forgive that kid. So yeah, so definitely more impactful too, right? Longer term. So yeah, yeah. No, that's a great point. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, I love that idea of core memories. So then, shifting gears, uh, maybe we move to the Higgins house. This was another part of the story that I really, really loved for so many reasons. And so we see Higgins at the very beginning when he's in the, the, with the coaches and he says that it's something they do every year and they usually get one, maybe two people Mm -hmm. to show up. That is not the case this year. Yeah. And I think part of the reason why this has happened, why so many people show up is because of what Ted has done, what the community has done. They just want to all spend time with each other. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think what I also love about it is it starts off awkward because whenever you have guests over, especially during the holidays, it's just super awkward. And, you know, the French guys brought his girlfriend. Is she even his girlfriend? And you like, don't really know what's happening. Like, you're like, she is not his girlfriend. She clearly is maybe somebody else. Um, And, like you know, the boys are like, who is this person? (laughs) So, you know, and you're like, is this just going to be an awkward um, event? Like all of it. But then you notice after time, like people start playing, right? They have the Nerf gun fight, which I love because it was like filmed in such a dramatic way. Yeah. And the kid in the end ends the Nerf fight. So that's like, again, core memory. I got to shoot you know, some of my dad's, you know, favorite players, right? Or my favorite players. Yeah. You have them playing FIFA, <laughs> which I always love. That's always a classic at my house. You got to play the FIFA. You got to play FIFA, especially if you play yourself. If you're, you're, you know, if you actually play. Meaning like your character? Or yeah, your, like, like, yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. But again, and I, I talk about this all the time, right? Attunement. They went from not being attuned to super awkward to to being attuned and even also what they bring because they know, I guess, that yes. that Higgins only eats chicken. He doesn't eat other meat or something like that. Is that the case? Oh, I don't I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think to your point, though, Sam probably is thinking in that way, though, right? Like, yeah, not everybody's used to goat meat. So let me be considerate about it and bring uh, right. chicken instead. Right. Yeah, right, right. And then. And it's even interesting, and I'll come back to the, or you know, I'll, I'll come back to the beginning. But it, it, food is a fascinating part of this too, because there's even a moment, especially near the end, when they're showing the long line of tables, mm. and Sam is passed a dish, and the the guy's like, "Yeah, it's this like Nigerian dish," and he's like, "Oh man!" And they like hug, like you know, they like clasp hands, like the feeling of 
food and how that grounds you to your home when you're gone is massive. And I think that's something that I found really powerful that Higgins has done, where as much as you know, everyone's from different places, Higgins remembers every place that they're from and then gives a shout out to every place that they're from, which is freaking phenomenal that he remembers it off of memory, but that everyone feels seen and everyone feels as if like, yeah, there really is like a home. And he even says, what is that line? You probably wrote it down as well. But the one about like family. Yeah, to the family we're born into and the family we make along the way. The make the make along the way. And it's just like, well, how are we going to find all these seats for these people? But it, it, it happens, right? It's this whole idea of like the collective we and we'll figure it out because everyone's coming in with really good intentions. Mm-hmm. And that that is just awesome. That is just, oh, it's just, I would love to be at that party. Like that is the type of like Christmas party where like, oh, yes. Yeah. I feel like I'm with my family. Yeah, yeah, for sure. This storyline was the most relatable to me of all of them. Like I, it gave me so many great feelings. And so the the thing about the rice, which is funny. So so Sam also brought the jollof rice, which is a Nigerian dish. But like we said, he brought it chicken because he was kind of thinking that maybe that would be, you know, something that might be better for where, you know, his hosts or whatever. And I think that's why he's so happy when the other Nigerian player brings it with the goat meat. Ah. And so he gets to have like the real thing too. But yeah, like that scene with the tables, like they weren't sure. Like, first of all, they they obviously didn't expect that many people, but they took it totally in stride. And yeah. they, you know, you've got like the table, then you've got an ironing board, and then you've got the pool table. And like, you know, they've like they've figured it out and they've created a way to make it work. And it is so beautiful. And so all the the places that he shouted out, according to the LA Times, those are the real hometowns of the actors in the scene. Wow. And so, yeah, which I think is amazing because it like shows you just how much of a, like the, the team is so diverse. International, international. Yeah, yeah. Like, like there's so much diversity there, like global diversity as, as AFC Richmond, but also the cast, right? Because these are real cast members. And I, yeah. I love that. Like, I just think that's really beautiful. They even shouted out Kingston, Jamaica. Yeah, let's go. My dad's from the Caribbean, Vincentian, Filipino. Let's go. Um, but yeah, no, I just, I love that they, they, everyone feels seen, right? Everyone, yeah. not only does the character feel seen, but the, the actors feel seen in that moment, right? Yeah. And he said the names even with like, you know, a little like accent to each and every one of them. So I'm like, okay, okay, Higgins is trying. And I think that's the part that I think is really powerful is the idea that he's trying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's putting himself out there and doing it. And I think a lot of times with anything that we do, a lot of times we're like, well, I can't be perfect. So I'm just not going to mention it. It's like, no, the trying is what matters. Yeah. The trying is what Yeah. And the fact that like, all these guys came together and decided that they were going to come, you know, and and spend their day here with the Higgins family. And like, for me, this was really personal. So in my family, like we were always brought up with the understanding that to it's, it's such a gift to be able to feed others. You know, my parents, our, our doors were always open to whoever. And we were constantly, we constantly had people coming over. And so when I, 
moved overseas and I was living in Greece. First of all, I had an amazing apartment, (laughs) which was massive and just had a great layout. And so it was perfect for having people over. But I really made it like, I made it so warm and and part of that was because of exactly how Higgins describes it. It's like, I, I definitely missed my family. And so part of this was, especially when you're living overseas, like you start to create family, right? With the people that you have around you. And so I was really used to like on any given night, people would come and knock on my door to see what I was making for dinner or to have a glass of wine or whatever. Nice. And so I was used to that. But like the holidays, especially Um, I remember hosting Thanksgivings and at the embassy, we had like, there's always a Marine detachment at the embassy. And so because like my house was one of the houses that was like right across the street, I would always have an open invitation to the Marines to come and stop by and like grab Thanksgiving food and and whatever. And then we would take plates over to the ones that were on, that were uh, actually on duty and stuff. And so, you know, so I loved that this was you know, just their way of kind of making sure that everybody felt loved and cared for. And it also reminded me of um, when I I was actually on a temporary assignment in Jordan and over like over Christmas and I didn't know anybody, Um, but I had a a common friend. Um, So there was a woman who worked at the embassy and she knew another friend of mine And she just welcomed me in through the holidays um, to the point of where like I was invited to like all the holiday parties and like brunch. And and when I showed up on Christmas Day, like she even had a little gift for me, which I just thought was so incredibly kind. Yeah. And so it's amazing, like just those little things, like how much of an impact it can make so that, you know, when you are feeling homesick and you do miss family and especially during the holidays and things like that, like it's just, yeah, it's, you're right. Like food is such a connector of people, such a connector. And so, yeah, I, I loved every part of the scene for sure. Yeah. I think also what you said about like opening up your doors to people, again, there's like this magic and maybe this is the theme of the whole episode, right? is that everyone had a plan of what they thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. They say it in, you know, in the office, the diamond dog office, you know, and then it's nothing like it is. Right. And they could have either, you know, focused on perfection, just being like, oh, I'm just angry that my sexy Christmas is ruined or that there's way too many people at the Higgins house or that I was supposed to be on uh, Zoom for eight hours with my son and I'm only on there for 30 minutes. But instead, they just, in each situation, they just rolled with it. And by rolling with it, by allowing this like growth mindset, this travel-oriented mindset, right? This play mindset, something more magical and amazing could come through. Mm -hmm. But it couldn't come through if they were so focused on being fixated on what they expected to come out because I know a lot of people and you know, all the listeners, let me know if uh, you feel this as well, but I know some people that it's on the holidays that they have the worst time or ruin the holidays because it doesn't fit their perfection. Mm, mm -hmm, And I'm mm -hmm. fascinated by when we're able to combat that and like create, you know, something magical out of, out of sometimes like mistakes, right. Out of things like way too many people coming in or, you know, us having to find, you know, a dentist for bad breath, like, you know, Mm -hmm. just the ability of, of, of just adapting to the chaos. 
and sitting in it. Yeah. And just this idea of being open. And I feel like that falls right back into the theme that is kind of underlying all of this, which is around curiosity, right? So not Mm -hmm. being attached to any particular thing, but just being present to the moment and, and moving through it. So yeah, just really, really beautiful. And also some cute little moments of comedy in that section too. So, oh, and the other thing that we, neither of us mentioned, but I loved was talk about another core memory is Sam helping Higgins' youngest son believe in Santa Claus again, you know, because the kid is like, the kid is like, oh no, there's no Santa Claus. And Sam was like, or because, you know, because there's no way that he could get around the whole world in 24 hours or something. And I love how Sam just shifts and he said, oh, that's the secret that nobody knows. It's it's about his endurance, you know, because it's like split up over 24 time zones and whatever. And just to see like the kid light up because all of a sudden it makes sense. Like now, like, oh, yeah, like this, this can happen. And, you know, and he's like, he got me a bike. And it just, it was so sweet. And now that kid's going to remember that, you know, like the moment he realized Santa was real. So, And this is going to sound a bit corny, but whatever. I'm in the Christmas spirit in August. Well, I remember when I put out cookies for Santa and then they were eaten and I freaked out because I was like, oh my gosh, these cookies were eaten and there might've been milk and that was it. So amped. And I think I just kept putting them out And then I think one year I didn't put them out or something like that. I don't know. And I found out it wasn't real. And then I was so disappointed and then sad. But then, like, I think it was a few years later, because I love, like, Drummer Boy. I would have, like, my parents, like, play drum. I would play Drummer Boy and, like, sing it. Not sing it to them, but, like, I just loved that song so much. Boom. Yeah. Boom. 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 I just love that. Yeah. But anyway, I had this epiphany. I think I was watching Recess, this cartoon Recess, when I was like maybe 20 or something. I don't really know. And they talked about how, you know, this kid finds out that Santa's not real. And then this Santa does show up at some point and he goes, oh. And he tells the kid, he's just like, oh, no, I am real, but I'm not a person. I'm a feeling, I'm a spirit, I'm in everybody. And I was like, oh. And I had this like re-epiphany that I'm like, oh my gosh, Santa is real. Santa's real all the time. And it was just like this epiphany of like, oh, I get it now. It's like the spirit of giving is the is the generosity, is the, you know, my dad or mom, whoever was eating the cookies is part of that play, part of that, you know, all of it, all of that is. And now, whenever kids are like, is Santa real? I'm like, she, she or he is or we is because and then if they want to know how, then I always tell them because I'm like, it exists as long as you believe it exists, meaning like as long as you believe the giving of Christmas or the giving of this time period exists, then it does exist. It's funny the things we remember from childhood, like for us. So my family is, you know, from India originally and So, (laughs) but my dad, like when he came here, he like embraced every aspect of being in America and he loved Christmas. And so we had a a group of families, like five families, six families that were really close. We got together every single weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday at somebody's house. We'd have dinner and the kids would play and whatever. But Christmas was special because, so my dad started it at our house, the very first one. And he insisted on like a, a fresh tree every year, like a real tree. So did my dad. Yep. Custom made trees. Got to get the custom made trees. 
with that that pine smell. Got to water it every day. Yep, yep. And we had, so if you count like four people per family, we probably had like 24 to 30 people in one house for three days. Oh, So all the moms are like cooking. All the dads are like, you know, playing poker. And then like at night, like they'd all be watching Hindi movies. The kids would be like, we, you know, because we'd have learned Christmas carols at school. So then we'd put on these little shows. I mean, it was just, it was so much fun and like just some of my best memories. But to your point about Santa, the next day when we'd wake up, like the tree would just be filled with gifts because all the families would get gifts for the other kids and stuff. And so you'd have like a bunch of stuff from Santa, but then you'd have stuff from all the other families. And it was just like, it was um, such a real lovely blending of cultures and, you know, cause you'd be eating Indian food, but like, but celebrating Christmas and like, yeah. And so, yeah, such good memories though. That's what we did. We had Filipino and Caribbean food, you know, and, celebra- and some American food. And, and it's also just so exciting running down whether the stairs or, you know, we ran down the stairs and you would see all these gifts there that weren't there the day before. And you're like the abundance the abundance and the gift giving. And you're like, oh my goodness, this is just so glorious. And yes, you really wanted your gifts, but I think it was more the anticipation of what's possible, right? Yeah, so true. And that feeling. And we didn't have people stay for three days, but yeah, every year, we still do it to this day. Every year have like 15 to 20 people over. And we even invite people that sometimes wouldn't have someone to spend time with during Christmas. We still open our doors up to like former neighbors and things like that. Yeah. And this was good old fashioned, like Indian style where we had, and by Indian, I mean India. And so like we had, every family would bring pillows and sleeping bags and like every inch of like the basement and the living room and like people in sleeping bags, like just laid out. And yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And then every morning they'd have like a contest to see, you know, like, who can roll up the most sleeping bags, which was how they got us to like <laughs> clean everything up every day. And so, uh, yeah, it was super fun. My friend Preeti, who I think she's Gujarati, she was just like, yeah, when everyone comes over for like the two or three day thing, everyone has like either matching pajamas or it's like a pajama party all day long. And I was like, that sounds amazing. She's like, yeah, there's just 25 of us just walking around in, you know, all these fancy pajamas. And I was like, wow. <laughs> so much fun. So that then brings us to our last storyline, which was the um, Ted and Rebecca storyline. Yeah. Is there a budding romance I'm sensing? I'm just sensing. I'm getting a little vibe. That's what I was getting. I don't know about you, but hello. What What made you feel that way? I don't know. I was just feeling maybe it was the Christmas spirit, but like. The fact that she, you know, that their facial expression when he was like, I was going to, I'm going to do Zoom for eight hours with my son, mm-hmm. which is ambitious, you know, because like any kid. And then I think, I think, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Ted says something. He's just like, oh, what happened? And he's like, you know, how was FaceTime with your son? And he goes, I lost it to an overpriced guilt present guilt gift and i was like oh those are real right those are so real and he has to play a game the next day so he's like thinking about it and like a wonderful life is on but he's definitely not having a wonderful life and i love that she she i mean she said this later on but she was just like one of the worst 
uh, Christmases is the the Christmas right after a divorce. And I was like, wow, that is real, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, And she's like, well, I just didn't want you to feel that way. So she not only goes there, but she goes there and then spells out his name. (laughs) Yeah. So we got some, some nice little callbacks there too. Right. So, uh, so yeah, to the point about the first Christmas after divorce, I will definitely agree that it is the worst. I remember mine and it was really, really hard. So yeah, so I love that she's now, you know, empathizing with where he's at, just like when he empathized with her after the, at the gala, you know, like he knew yeah. what she was experiencing. And so I love that she's able to return that to him. Have you seen a wonder It's a Wonderful Life? I haven't. I've seen clips of it, but never that's never been my jam. It is definitely one of my favorites for the holidays. We watch it every year and the last year before my mom passed away, they were playing it at the, the National History Museum, like one of the Smithsonian's. Oh, wow. Yeah, they have a theater in there. And so um, we, my sister, brother-in-law, my mom and I, we all went. And it was just so nice to like have that memory there. But it's it's a really great movie. I know it's like it's black and white. And I think for a lot of people, it feels like slow and whatever. But the story is just really beautiful. And the scene that Ted is watching is when George Bailey, the main character, is like at the the lowest point of despair and mm. he's jumping off the bridge. Oh, wow. And there's an angel named Clarence who comes in at that exact moment. And the exact moment that the angel comes in is when we see uh, Ted hears the knocking on the window. Oh. And so it's kind of like oh. Rebecca is like showing up as his guardian angel that day. Yeah. And then the spelling out of the high Ted like reminds me of when they spelled out high boss on the field, which I thought was really cute. Yep. Yep. But yeah. So we see like this, this side of Rebecca where, you know, we're getting to see the real sides of her now this season a little bit more than last. Yep. And so she's got some kind of a, a connection somewhere <laughs> where she's getting access to kids uh, Santa letters and. Yeah, that was fascinating to me. I was just like, how are you getting those letters? Are they mailed to the team? I mean, I could see that some people just mailing it to the team or whatever it is. But I was like, this is so interesting. Okay. Yeah, and they never tell you. So I don't know. But but how fulfilling, right? Like what a lovely thing to spend the day doing, especially when you've already been down. And we remember from season one that Whiskey and Ted are not a great like when you see him hitting the whiskey, you know that it's not good, right? It's bad, like he's, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So he could have been in a really dark place all day, but Rebecca came and pulled him out. And to your point about all of the scenes that we've seen in terms of like, you know, the opening scene with the Secret Santa and, you know, the dinner and all this stuff, like Ted hasn't done any of this today, right? In this episode, Ted is actually the saddest of everybody, right? He's like, he's the lowest of everybody. Yep. And we see that. And the lonely, he's the loneliest. Yeah, and the loneliest, too. exactly. And so we see that the impact that he's made, you know, since he's been there is now coming back to support him, right? So you've got like Rebecca showing up. She's going to take him out and do all these like great things. To, and it's so cute. I just love that um, first kid that they take the bag of gifts to. And he says that it's been around the world a couple of times. And when he hands it over, the little kid's like, do I, do I smell notes of Beijing? 
exactly. Because <laughs> it's like, it's like it smells like the Himalayas. I was like, okay, I see you. I was like, who is like, what is happening? You bring up a good point that I that I remember my friend Jennifer Abel's so amazing. She had started a, a nonprofit called. Is that the Soldiers at Salsa? Yes, Soldiers for Salsa. Yeah. How did you know that? We've talked about it before. Oh, we talked about it before. Yeah. And we've talked about it on this on this podcast. Uh huh. Okay, sweet. Okay, so I'm just going to bring it back up. Um, so did I ever tell you about the ball of light? No. Okay, so she, for a long time, was running this nonprofit called Soldiers uh, Who Salsa, and it was for a lot of soldiers who either were amputees or had some you know, PTSD or whatever it is, and really wanted to dance but hadn't figured out how to do it and she had created this nonprofit to help foster this and this had brought her to the white house and all these other things but she remembers one time doing it and someone she almost saw it as if she was passing out balls of light to people mm. uh to give them like hope especially at times when they were like going through a really tough time. And some of those balls of light inspired people to go not only dance, but then find partners and dance and get married because they now learn salsa. So like she was passing out all these balls of light, but at that, at times that could be really draining. And as you pass out more and more, you know, then there are moments where you then forget or have that much energy for yourself. And it's fascinating that few years later when, you know, Soldiers of Salsa, I think like, you know, kind of wrapped up and she was going through a tough time that all of a sudden a lot of these soldiers would uh, reappear in her life and remind her of the amazing ways in which she changed their life or saved their life in some ways. And she was like, oh, it's like they're handing that ball of light back to me. And now it's like, it's evolved, it's changed, like inside out, right? It's become something new, but I didn't even realize I had had that level of impact. And that's really what I think is happening for Ted is now it's time for them to give back to him in ways that he doesn't even realize that was the ripple effect that he had. Yeah, no, it's so, it's so true. And to your point, you know, like up until now, it's like, all the kind of warmth that's been created amongst the team and between him and Rebecca, and it's all been kind of being pushed out from him, right? And it's a, it's a really beautiful reminder like that we don't know, we don't always know the ripple effects. We don't always know the impact that we're having, but we are having an impact. And I can't remember, sorry, listeners, like I, I think we're just both like not remembering at this point, like what we've talked about, what we haven't all the time. But uh, did I ever talk about the TED talk about everyday leadership? I don't know. Actually, yes, I did because um, somebody mentioned that they they shared the episode. But it's a great uh, again for anybody who hasn't listened to that past episode. Everyday leadership. It's a beautiful TED talk. But but it's all about this thing that we never know the impact that we're having on another person's life. And so you know, and to that point, like if I've been the one creating all this warmth this whole time, and now I don't have it in me anymore it's okay to let somebody else step in and help. And I think that's the other piece of this, right? It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to accept help. Uh, we don't always have to be the person that's like standing up and doing everything ourselves. Yep. And so, yeah. So I think that that was really nice. And there's power in, you know, I run a workshop around gratitude and burnout and this idea of we actually have people and listeners can do this of like, 
write down all the people that you've impacted your life, right? Like we, I've done this with teachers or I've done this with like lawyers, nonprofit lawyers. And you're like, oh my gosh, like that number of clients I've had, the number of students that have worked with me, the number of people that I've mentored, you start jotting that down. You're like, yikes, this is really like powerful. And then I have them double down on that. And I ask them, to write down what is one of your most memorable moments at your profession? Like, what is your why of your profession? Like, when you think of it, what was that moment for you? Or what are those multiple moments for you? And just having people reflect on that is fascinating because they get the dose, right? They get the dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins because they really are taking that moment to share that story. And then people are also receiving it because then it's reminding them of their why and their story. So the more I feel we can do that. Yeah. yeah the and better. they're all getting to savor it. Right. So. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. And so like, I think by the end, like they've now like gone all over, they've given out these gifts and it's just been such a lovely day. And Rebecca is not like no longer wants to go to Elton John's house and mm -hmm. they end up on the Higgins street. Right. And singing Baby, Please Come Home. And so the people that Rebecca is singing with, they were the buskers that were at the beginning of when she and Ted were headed out. Right. So it's the same right. uh, people. And that the main singer um, from the buskers is a, a UK artist named Adam Taylor. Yeah. And I love that they brought them back at the end there. And of course, like she's such a phenomenal singer. <laughs> Like, just like the whole, right? So good. I also forgot she was in Game of Thrones. She was the shame woman. Shame. Oh, yeah. Shame. 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 I've been like, yeah. I totally forgot that. I was like, oh, my gosh. So good. She's such a good singer. Yeah, oh. she's incredible. And so that was really lovely. And that was the callback to uh, Elf, because there's a scene in Elf where Zoe Duchanel, who... And she's like singing out there in public and then everybody kind of comes out and stuff. And so that was the elf callback. And then the the last scene with like the sleigh up in the sky. Right. And so that's like a callback to Christmas vacation, which I thought was really cute. Oh, yes. Christmas vacation. And at that point, it was just like, it's so corny, of course. Of course, that should also but like, OK, you know, just for the people that are like, ah, I didn't like this episode or this is a filler episode. It's just like, look at how much we talked about in this filler episode. Right. Like there's still yeah. so many core themes and it's such a feel good episode. I don't know. I watch some of the episodes and I get super tense. I even noticed this recently. I'm watching this uh, show, The Bear, about like chef cooking or whatever it is. Oh, yeah. I loved that show. But yeah, I, it, I watch it. And also I have to stop it in the middle because I get stressed out. I'm like, why am I stressing myself out so much? So this I feel is like a respite from the stress of like Dubai jet and, you know, all the drama that's going to come with that. By the way, that was fascinating when it was just like, <laughs> Higgins is like, Sam, what does Christmas remind you of? He's like, colonization. I'm like, no, Sam. Sam always breaking it down. And then and then yeah. Higgins uh Higgins son being like, yeah, F you Dubai jet, Dubai Air, whatever it is. And I was like, this is hilarious. And Higgins is like, oh, we're gonna have to deal with that. But not today. Not today. Today we're gonna be fully present here. But yeah, I just love the corny, you know, crunchy granoli eggnoggery 
uh, cheesiness of it. Like I'm yeah. all for it at the end. So of course the sleigh shows up. Of course the kid is sitting on the top of the car. He's probably never sat on the top of a car before. And he played Nerf guns with Sam that day, you know, and he got to meet, you know, the French men's girlfriend, you know, and just all these like random memories for this one kid. He's like, never is going to forget that. Never is like, it's, it's going to be reminded the way in which you're reminded of like those sleepover parties or, you know, my, me and my friends and my family, like with like snow fights and things like that. So, oh, so good. Core memories. And I'm working with an organization right now and we're talking about like belonging or, or having people feel seen. And we were speaking about stuff like moments of delight. Like, what are you creating moments of delight for your staff? But then I was like, no, nah, it's not moments of delight. It's what are the moments that matter? What are the moments that matter that you're creating for your employees or your staff or your for? So I think that's just a worthwhile question to ask of like, what are those moments that matter in your life and how do you create more of those moments? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. It's a great question. Did you do any of like, did you do any of the Ted Lasso lesson from last time? The Ted Lasso lessons? Huh? Or your what would Ted Lasso do moment? I mean, I don't know. I've had some like hard conversations recently. I don't know if I applied the Ted Lasso lessons, but I, I showed up with like empathy and compassion and vulnerability for them. And they were super freaking hard. And, you know, they played out however they were going to play out. But yeah, I mean, it helped that I was showing up with a certain level of curiosity and just being like, whatever happens, happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's the one that I continue to lean on as well is just being curious in all these different situations as things come up. But uh, yeah, I didn't have a specific thing this week that came up for me either. So, but yeah, I love this idea of thinking about core memories and memories that matter, moments that matter when you're creating stuff. So yeah. But I think that brings this lovely holiday episode to a close. And as always, thank you. And I appreciate you. And uh, yeah, this one is going to leave me feeling good for the rest of the rest of the week, I think. so. Right. Thanks so much for this uh, great conversation after this lovely episode that now I do not consider a filler. I think it's a core episode as it's going to be a core memory of mine for the day. Love it. All right. So we will see you all back here next week. Um, thanks so much for listening. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of What Would Ted Lasso Do? If you got any nuggets of Ted Lasso wisdom from this episode, try them out in your life and let us know what happens at WWTLD Podcast on Instagram or on our website, WWTLDpodcast.com where you'll also find a full transcript of the show. We love hearing what other TED heads took away from the episode or details or perspectives that we might have missed. And if you do like the show, please subscribe and head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Every rating helps us get our show in front of more listeners. To that end, we'd also ask if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends, loved ones, randos on the street you get it thank you to the team at podify for producing our show to kajal dabalia for all our visuals and graphics and to kenzie slato for our theme song and most of all thank you to all of you for listening 
Ted Lasso could simply just be another show to binge watch, or if we challenge ourselves to consistently ask the question, what would Ted Lasso do? It could change the trajectory of your life. It has for us. So join us again next time as we explore another episode and ask ourselves, what would Ted Lasso do? Thank you.